0: each installation in this podcast, we're going to explore the world of spirituality, what it means to be alive, and how is it that we can bring our spiritual selves, tarot, meditation, religious or spiritual practices into our daily lives. Please check out all of our episodes at thehermitslamp.com podcasts, or you can search The Hermit's Lamp in podcasts on iTunes, Catch it on Stitcher Radio or other services along those lines on your smartphones or wherever you like. So secretly in my lab for the last several months, I have been messing around with making t-shirts. I personally had some that I wanted. And I couldn't find anything like them anywhere, so I decided to just jump in and start doing it. So, after some R&D and some ups and downs, you can now find a whole bunch of them on the website at thehermitslamp.com. Click on the shop button, and then you'll see a tab that says t-shirts. And you'll find some hoodies and other stuff in there. Soon to come will also be caps and other fun items They include images of tarot cards, some craziness of my own invention, and my tribute to Hunter S. Thompson with my rare high-powered mutant Tetragrammaton hoodie. So go check them out if this is something you're into. And otherwise, enjoy the episode.
1: I'll talk to you soon. So welcome to another
0: installment of the Hermit's Lamp podcast. Today I am here with uh, Jen Zart, who is a publisher, a magician, and an astrologer. And um, yeah, hey, Jen. Hi. So maybe for people who don't know who you are, um, who are you? What's going on? What are you up to?
2: Well, I am a publisher, editor, translator, astrologer based in Seattle, Washington. So we're spanning the continent right now.
1: And Uh
2: I'm currently working on publishing a number of books through the Press. I I also work with Nick Campion at the Sophia Center Press in Wales, uh, affiliated with the University of Wales, Trinity St. David. And I have a Patreon going to translate materials from Weimar, Germany, into
0: English, specifically on the topic of astrology. Amazing. Um, I, I hear from people that you're the bomb when it comes to astrology. Like, the feedback that I've got was, uh, all this astrology business seemed like nonsense and like I ought not to care. And then I found Jen and read some stuff and was like, oh, I get it now. I see why people care. You know, how did you get into astrology? Where, where, where did that start for you?
1: It started in
2: the ancient. I actually enjoy this part of the, <laughs> these questions are fun because they make me uh, go back to the story of uh, getting grounded as a teenager, uh-huh. and my way to astrology through that. Um, I was grounded, and my German teacher from high school asked me when I was born and what time and where. And the next day, he gave me this map, and he said, "Can you go to Powell's books?" And he said. No, actually, that's the only place I can go. If you don't know, Powell's Books is an amazing bookstore in Portland, Oregon. And uh, so I went to Powell's, and I got the books that he told me to get. And he said, look, if you have any questions, just ask me after school before you get picked up. I was 14. So I also didn't have a computer anymore. They took my computer away when I got grounded. So I began to teach myself logarithmic trigonometry to make charts by hand and Mm -hmm. I was months, so the only thing I could do when I went home from school was to mess around with the astrology books and that's how I got started and I would have conversations with my German teacher every day after school like what's this what's this so he basically took me through from 0 to 60 on you know his method of astrology and he was my mentor for about 15 years amazing
0: that's wonderful that's a great story I uh Yeah, I I I was was, never so forth. Sorry, go ahead.
2: Oh, no, just during that time, um, speaking of, you know, just lineage, um, he was interested in mundane astrology primarily. So he taught German and history and he turned me on to Nick Campion's work and Nick Campion and I work together now. So that was kind of an interesting moment um, as a young person to be learning how to think historically with planetary cycles and then becoming an academic and moving forward into astrology and academia and
1: this kind of work, you
0: know, it's kind of, it became sort of my calling. That's awesome. I, I love that. Yeah. You know, my, my calling started when I was kind of that age too. Um, but uh, I didn't have anybody to teach me. I just, you know, when I was 12, I got my, my first copy of magic theory and practice by Alistair Crowley. And uh, you know, that was the beginning of of everything really in that regard, you know? So yeah, it's amazing how if you get access to the right kinds of stuff, you can kind of go down some very interesting roads.
2: Right. And for me, I mean, I always knew from the moment this began back at that young age, I knew that I would go on to be getting a PhD because when I learned astrology, I also learned that it had been washed out of history, but 300 years ago with the enlightenment, there was this, prejudice that had developed against it so people stopped learning what it was and then it mm-hmm. started in the 20th century with the rise of popular publishing and sun sign astrology knowledge about what astrology was became very superficial and so we're not actually fully educated as to what it is and even mm-hmm. many astrologers who practice don't know the history of what they're doing and so you know it's really important to go back and understand where this comes from and all of its variations and also that these variations don't need to be smashed onto one timeline. They can coexist. Mm-hmm. engagements between humans and the sky. So I always try to be a bridge and an ambassador between a practitioner and someone who doesn't know anything to just open the mind and And at least if, you know, if you know anything else after talking to me one time, you just know how much you don't know and you get curious, you know, and I'm not Mm -hmm. evangelize or like teach one specific thing. It's more like teaching curiosity about it.
0: Yeah. So where, where do you, where do you start with people? What's like, what's your inroad with, with someone's chart?
2: (laughs) You mean when I'm reading a chart? Yeah. I mean, cause like, where do you start with people? Well, I think sometimes if it's a, Person who doesn't have any interest in astrology, I would start talking about history. But if it's someone who's coming to me for a reading, um I tend to go from a more practical standpoint of like what's useful here? What is this person who and What do they need to know that's a useful piece of information, as opposed to being more of a, a psychologist? I'm not really into diagnosing someone's personality uh-huh. or using astrology in that way. I sort of think of it more as like a planning tool or understanding the qualitative elements of the calendar as they pertain to you? What is the quality of your time like right now? And then when mm-hmm. will it shift?
1: Mm-hmm.
2: You
1: so
0: so you, you skip away from like the sun, moon, ascendant to, hey, look, you're like this and this is what you want.
2: This is yeah, how people
0: see you. And- that
2: stuff is somewhat inevitable in a conversation only because how you'll be likely to use the time will be included in that type of, analysis but i don't think that
1: um i just don't think that that's a helpful focus if it's about you know i don't know I just that's not my emphasis there's a lot
2: of astrologers who do that and and they can go and do that and that's fine and then you see Mm -hmm. those
1: think about a bit more in terms of practicality right
0: like hey i'm having a hard time finding work
1: yeah do i
0: do with
2: that you could use according to what's coming up for you you know as opposed to like and and obviously then sometimes you know having a hard time finding work might just be something that is inherent in the person's chart in terms of personality and then that's like oh well maybe what one thing you're having a hard time finding work about is because you tend to be this way maybe think Mm -hmm. about that and try to work on that and then you might have a
0: you have some great misfortune by like being a triple Leo or something, you know?
2: (laughs) (laughs) I mean, you know, we all have different, um, nobody has a perfect chart. You know, we're all, we all experience good things and bad things. And even if you were to have a perfect chart, the planets keep moving and they would pose challenges. So it's more of like, you know, checking out the highs and the lows in certain domains and how that complexity weaves together and helping someone orient themselves So that they understand, you know, this is where I am in the flow, in the warp and weft of time. And this is when I'll be moving into a different warp and weft of time. And, you know, when I was grounded and just learning astrology, uh, one of the first things that my German teacher told me was that this will be over in six months. I was like how did you know that was exactly the time that they said I would be grounded? And he goes, well, Saturn's on your moon, and it's moving away in six months, and then you'll be fine. And I was like, huh. And then I lived through it, and I felt that, you know, pressure, isolation, I was, you know, being separated from my friends and we couldn't go anywhere. And then six months later, it went away, and some other transits took place, and I kind of was learning and tracking. But that first experience of just having somebody say, like, yeah, this is going to be a tough time for you, but it'll be over. So then you mm-hmm. say, "That's my bookend." So now instead of being sad about that, I can teach myself divination. <laughs>
0: you know? Yeah, can learn do something with it, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. I find I'm. Um, I don't know. My 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 relationship to astrology has changed a lot over the
1: years. You know,
0: I started off, and and my introduction to astrology was Crowley, which you know, it's, it's, it's a thing. <laughs> it's, you know, as I looked into more stuff, I was like, huh, very limited view in some ways, some, some interesting stuff and whatever. Um, but because I was in a much more sort of ceremonial worldview and really like an older ceremonial worldview, I was like, ah, outer planets, who cares? You know, like I just, I never paid attention to them. And then at a certain point I got into doing charts for people and stuff. and um and then after a few years of that, I was like, you know, what? I, I think I'm actually my superpower is reading cards. And I feel like in order to get my astrology to the next level, I don't necessarily want to do that anymore. Like, I don't want to start going down into like more and more fine angles and learning more and more pieces. I was like, I think I need to just read a lot more cards. And so I kind of uh, abandoned it as a, as a sort of central piece of my practice. And then, and then, sort of over the last while, I, I really, I, I always just kind of look at it. and I'm like, I have to do a piece of work that's like this for somebody or for myself. And then I just start looking for like what what pieces I might work with, and 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 then, and then have a sort of very pragmatic approach to it. Yeah.
2: yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's a way of looking at the world, and it's a language that has many languages inside of it, and so you know, a lot of people think a professional astrologer is someone who sees clients, and that's actually not true. There are a lot of people who are considered professionals in the field who haven't seen clients since 1984. Right. Do research and they publish and they write about it. And so, mm-hmm.
1: you
2: know, that's one way. Um, and in terms of magic, you know, planetary hours, using planetary hours is astrological. You don't need to know how to have an hour-long natal chart reading with somebody to be able to use planetary hours. You're still doing astrology.
0: Yeah. And and can you give people who might not have heard of this what the planetary hours are about? What's the basic idea?
2: So the planetary hours are based on the Chaldean order of the planets coming from the Middle East ages and ages and ages ago. This is where we get our days of the week because you take the hours, if you take day, and night, and you divide the daytime, I'm trying to speak very carefully because this syntax matters, If you can take the daylight hours and divide them by 12, and nighttime hours and divide them by 12, you will get 24 hours in
1: a day. And then assigning the first hour of the day, let's start with Sunday, as
2: the sun going through the Chaldean order of planets, which is by speed. You will then reach the first daylight hour of Monday will be a lunar hour. Going through all 24 hours again by the time you get to Tuesday it will be a Mars hour. And this is how the days got their names. Mm -hmm. And it was based off of the speed of the planets. And thankfully, you know, we have these little magical rectangles. I mean, we're like so fortunate to be living in the future because he definitely didn't have these little like portals to the world, these little magical rectangles that can give you apps for that. But the order of planets in terms of speed is Saturn, Jupiter, Mars, the sun, Venus, Mercury, and the moon. And then it starts back over with Saturn. Yeah. So okay. then what, you, what, what happens during these times is like the planetary hour is like a laser beam. Plugging into the energy of, the, of that planet. And if that planet's in a great condition, then what you try to accomplish in line with that activity will be successful. And if it's a planet that's in a poor condition, you won't be that successful. So you do have to know a little bit of like higher level in terms of like, how's the planet doing? If the planet's sick in bed, it can't really help you. But, mm-hmm. um, but anyway, yeah, I mean, it's a really interesting and easy way to organize your daily life. You know, if you want to ask for a raise, don't do it on a Saturn hour.
0: And, you know, and when I, one of the things that I do is I make talismans for people. And, um, and when I, when I send them to people, I, I always figure out where the, where the next several sort of easy on ramps to that energy, if it's a planetary energy are. And so I'll be like, oh, so on Saturday at sunrise, get up and recite this prayer and burn this candle and do these things to take ownership of what I've done, you know? And so, because as you say, planetary hours are one of those things that you don't actually have to know anything about really other than, Hey, this is the time, you know, and, and then beyond that, you know, if someone else is is helping you or what are the general attributes of that? So, yeah.
2: And you know, the idea is like, if you want to swim upstream, that's cool, but we don't have to live that way. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it's unavoidable, but oftentimes it's not. So if you're just a bit more perceptive, it's like, Oh, is it the hour of, Venus. Okay, cool. Let's chill. Let's have a lovely evening. Let's eat some dessert. You know, let's mm-hmm. enjoy it now and not work so hard.
1: You know, Save that
0: yeah, yeah. Well, and I also think that um, it's one of those things, especially if people are um, if people don't feel super rock solid in their magic yet. It's one it, like the moon cycle, the planetary hours. They're like they're a handful of really simple, simple things that people can jump on. And figure out really easily to be like, oh, you know what? If I if I want to do this, and I can do it during the waxing moon to bring more of that energy in, and I can do it on the day at the hour, then I'm going to like have more current available to my to run my the machine that I'm building. Yep. As opposed to like you know, well, uh, you know, I'm, I'm going against counter forces and counter times, or you know, oh wait wait, everything's going retrograde right now, and I don't want to retrograde energy from that planet, you know.
2: Right. Um, We have to break out of this idea that astrology is only newspaper horoscopes or online horoscopes or only a professional reading. You know, magicians doing kinds of astrology all the time if they're really incorporating the hermetic principles. Mm. Cycles. That's astrology too. Yeah. It's just not this officially branded type, you know, or super technical or what Jeffrey Cornelius would call craft astrology, right? Uh Uh-huh. But that's okay. It doesn't have to be. And we don't all need to be professional astrologers or people who know all of the ins and outs of certain techniques, especially with magic. I think keep it simple, you know?
0: Hmm. Yeah, definitely. So what, what, what do you think about retrogrades? Cause I, you know, I, I hear a lot of people getting all excited and worked up and, you know, I mean, and this is like, it seems like this is a year full of delightful retrogrades, you know, and I, yeah, I use that slightly sarcastically.
2: Say, you know what? This seems like that year. And guess what? By the time we're sitting here next year, you'll say the same thing because the planets like Saturn and Jupiter and Pluto and Uranus and Neptune, they go retrograde every year.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And that is simply because of how our solar system is shaped. So Mars retrogrades happen once every two and a half years because. That's Mars' cycle around the sun. It takes a while for it to go around. And here's the mnemonic device for retrogrades. They happen for outer planets when that planet is opposite the sun. So if the sun's in Sagittarius and Mars is in Gemini, it's retrograde. If the sun is in Sagittarius and Jupiter's in Gemini, Jupiter is retrograde.
0: Mm -hmm. Every time. And that that sun rolls through all 12 signs every year, so therefore... (laughs) It's right. always going to hit that.
2: So Jupiter's retrograde right now because the sun was just in Aries and it hasn't reached around to Gemini yet for it to go direct. Jupiter goes direct on June 9th because, okay, when the planets go into a trine with the sun before the opposition, they, they go retrograde. And then when they come out of that trine on the other side of the opposition, they come out of retrograde mm-hmm. you find them without even looking. Yeah. Um, and, it, and it's that every year, I think the Venus retrogrades and the Mars retrogrades are what sort of make us think that they're less common because those two planets have a different connection to the sun than because they're so close to us. Um, the opposition, I mean, Venus is only ever near the sun, so its retrograde cycle is somewhat different. Mm-hmm. But, you know, well, I, especially with Mercury retrogrades, like magicians should rejoice. That's when you can do all the stuff no one's going to find out about. Mercury is totally invisible, like, you know.
0: Yeah. Um, yeah. I think, I think that the, the outer planets because they move so slowly, they, it creates this illusion that we think that it would take them so long to get back to that position, but it's actually their, their slowness relative to the dance with us and the sun. That means that they're kind of still in the same spot when it comes back around. Cause they, they take so much longer to keep moving. Right. Yeah. I, I love working with retrograde planets for magic. You know, yeah. I, um, I last year I launched this thing where uh, it's, I call it my Mercury retrograde reboot. And um, what it is, is it's a, it's a series of um, video art things with questions that, that spans the Mercury retrograde time with like ceremony worked in and stuff like that. So people can basically be, okay, what do I need to see differently? How do I, how do I break myself down? How do I like allow stuff to surface that I've been, repressing and how do I rearrange all that stuff in myself so that I can come at the other side differently, you know? And to me, I think it's one of the, the most powerful times, you know, but as always, as often as the case, you know, as soon as I, not with that, because it's obviously timed, but I was doing, um, a protection charm and, and I decided to work with, um, with, with, with Venus and retrograde for it you know because i was using um uh wild rose thorns as part of it and stuff and i was like "Oh, yeah. well this, this can be the the energy that snags and binds and is you know isn't loving and gentle and isn't creative and generative and isn't you know these things that that are kind of venus-like you know and i brought a bit of saturn in for some of that too and it's like yeah now it's all prickly and sharp and nothing gets to pass through it
2: that's funny because venus is in a Sign ruled by Mars in this last oh. retrograde cycle, and you're talking about. <laughs>
0: yeah, exactly. Yeah. I
2: had and, a, and it... developed a ritual for the Venus retrograde. Um, I think it's most potent when it's actually retrograde because of its position between the Sun and the Earth.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: But mark for the superior conjunction as well, if you want to talk about it being conjoined with the Sun, in the need. But during Venus retrograde, the past two retrogrades, I've written myself a love letter that I would have received from someone else sort of you know how like you're sitting down and you're like wouldn't it just be great to get a love letter from somebody who just
0: adores you and
2: loves you to pieces and wants to tell you everything they love about you Mm -hmm. Um, it started because I was dating somebody who knew I really liked getting postal mail and and he didn't write me and it was almost like this sort of Aggressive, not writing. It wasn't just a "oh, I forgot not to write you." It was more like, "I know you'd like this, and I'm going to specifically deny this to you." Mm. So I was like, "Well, you know what? If that's what I want, I should give it to myself." Yeah. Well, in the middle of the retrograde, I wrote myself this letter, and it was so hard. And then sealed mm-hmm. it, and I didn't read it until this past retrograde. And I invited someone else to take part in this with me, and then we would read the, what we had written to ourselves to each other out loud. Mm-hmm. It was so hard. I and bet. That, but like validating to like express, you know, like what do you really love about yourself or what would you want to have about yourself? Be loved. And then to share that with someone you've never met and
1: have them do the same thing. It was yeah. Really hard. That's amazing. Mm-hmm. So I invite everybody to try that because it's super transformative. and. Mm-hmm. and-
0: Venus, Venus is still retrograde, right? Yeah. For the next Venus. little bit, or just finished? 15th. Okay, yeah. So, next time it comes around.
2: Uh, the next superior conjunction will be next January. Mm-hmm.
0: January resolution. Yeah. I will share my love of myself with myself.
2: Right, yeah.
0: Perfect, perfect.
1: That's the most juicy love letter you've ever read.
0: Uh-huh, I like it. I, um, when... When I started getting into astrology and I started looking at my chart, I, I immediately had this sort of recognition that um, although I have like kind of a, a, a relatively balanced chart, I have no water whatsoever and uh, and I have almost no earth either
1: awesome. like,
0: until you get down to like, you know, super small random things that most people don't know what they were because I didn't know what they were until I kept, what about all these extra, what if I just keep clicking these buttons in the app until I find something? <laughs>
1: yeah
0: and um <laughs> and on the one hand, I felt like it was relatively like I felt balanced, but on the other hand, I felt like I, I wanted to energetically access other other signs and other energies more and so what I did was I, I wrote a, a simple uh structured ritual using um, the treasure house of images. It's a book. I think Carly lifted it from the Golden Dawn originally, but it's just a set of poetic invocations of, um, of, of the different energies and signs and stuff like that. And every for, so for a year, every time the moon changed signs, I would perform this ritual. And I performed it as a Eucharist ritual, so I was just invoking the energy of that transition and then consuming it. And so I was in the temple all the time. I mean, I was already in the temple a lot. What's that? It's
1: like every other day.
0: Yeah, almost every three days, right?
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah it was a lot. And um, I I, th- I think in, in retrospect, probably every full moon or, or something, or maybe full moon and new moon might have been adequate. But, you know, I was a little obsessive back then about these things. So I wanted to be thorough. And at the end of this cycle, I felt like I really changed a lot of things about it. And I felt energetically like a lot of things changed. And so, you know, for me, I was I, I kind of was really interested in, this idea of how do, I, how do I use this to permanently change myself instead of just kind of being like, oh, well, you know, I have this aspect that makes me a little too aggressive or I have this aspect that makes me disorganized or, you know, whatever. I'm like, how do I just integrate and reharmonize all that energy and try and balance it at a baseline level? So, yeah. yeah, yeah so very you know, fun.
2: About elemental voids, which is what you referenced by saying I have no water in my chart um astrologers take it in two directions which you can guess uh one the more common one would be it's an elemental void i have no water and then Uh oh well then i must be the kind of person who wants to drink water all the time or go to the ocean or live by a river or like surround myself with other people (coughs) in their chart and get it from the outside right and then this other person I forget her name at the moment, but she did write a book called Elemental Voids. Her theory is that you have a void in that element because you've actually mastered that element and you mm. embody full benefit of that element. So by not having water in your chart expressed in a planetary point or an ascendant or anything like that, you actually are totally confident in the water zone. Like you don't have anything to work out by transit in that area. So in my chart, I have no Earth, which is uh-huh. why you see me like... Traveling all the time, like, we don't know where Jen is. She's like in South Africa or England. Like, uh-huh. when's she coming back? I don't have any earth. I don't have anything grounding me. But on that level, you know, I've also never really had earth problems either. Like, hmm. I don't mind not having one stable place that I live. Um, but, you know, even in terms of like material resources, you know, people are like, are you independently wealthy? And it's like, no, I just know how to live within my means. And I, I know what I need and I have what I need and it's good. You know, mm-hmm. So it's like, I can see how it goes both ways. I also collect rocks and I work with them in jewelry making. So it's like, okay, well, there's like that interpretation fits. And then the elemental void is mastery also kind of fits. So I like that yeah. thought form of like, oh, well, lack doesn't mean absence. It actually can mean mastery. I think that's a really nice way of interpreting it.
0: Yeah. I don't think we need, I think we can be a non-dualist about it. yeah, It can be both could be a variety of things and probably true in different ways at different times and different aspects, you know, for me, um, I, I was noticing that, uh, you know, I, I'm, I mean, less so now, but at the time I was like really super intense about everything. And I was like, just, you know, it was like a, like a jet engine all the time, you know? And like it culminated. one of the things that culminated is sort of leading up to, just before that time was um, I went skydiving and uh, and like, I could jump of the plane and, you know, did my thing. I was like, Whoa, whatever. Right. And then I got to the ground. I was like, meh, I wasn't that exciting. And I looked around at everybody else and they were like,
1: Oh my God, it's the best thing ever.
0: And then I started thinking about what was going on in my life and what I was doing. And I was like, huh, yeah, I need to like slow things down a bit here. You know, I didn't immediately put it in astrological terms, but like, I was, I was perpetually thrill seeking and I was perpetually like, you know, like I was doing full contact martial arts and I was downhill mountain biking. And I was like, I was just doing everything all the time. And it was just like going further and further and further. And I was like, Whoa, oh, I think I need something to even this out, you know? And it wasn't long after that, that this astrological idea came up to me. So yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: I like that
2: idea that you were so saturated with thrills that you got bored by skydiving
0: yeah yeah i mean the initial jump was like exciting just like if you jump off a really tall diving board you're like whoa you know but then as soon as that part was done i was like "Eh, whatever (laughs) so yeah it's kind of ridiculous
1: awesome
0: yeah so i I have another question for you to migrate this in a different direction um saint cyprian yeah who's who's this person and 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 what are they to you, and, and, and yeah, how did you find them?
2: Well, a number of Seattle magicians
1: began working in St. Cyprian, Marcus McCoy, and mm-hmm. a number of others. And there's a Facebook group that I believe he started that I ended up joining. And yeah, it's a, kind of a new aspect of my yeah. work. And um, one of the important things I find in this is sort of the narrative component. Whenever I engage with anything, even astrology, I'm always
2: focused on the folklore, the narrative, sort of the language, and how that plays a role in transmission of ideas. And so that was one of the bases, bases one of the foundations of <laughs> Cypriana Old World that Rubito Press published last year.
0: Well, let's, yeah. let's let's step back a second though, because you know, although lots of people who listen to this are definitely magically inclined, um, I bet you there are a bunch of people who are like, "I don't know who this Saint Cyprian is." Yeah. Who who is it? who is this? Who are they?
1: Well, some people
2: say that he's an amalgamation of uh, various. Uh, like, uh, amalgamation, let's say, egregore,
1: right? Mm -hmm. It's it's a
2: thought form for the sorcerer who assimilates into the mainstream in order to evade being persecuted and then is able to continue practicing magic, kind of hiding inside. Um,
1: There are... Some practitioners who
2: associate him with St. Justina because of one of the foundational texts
1: or streams of lore related to his conversion. Um, someone approached him wanting to woo Justina and is powerless against her and she ends up convincing him to convert. That. Um, yeah so and, and from <laughs> my point of view you know i
0: um cyprian since cyprian is this sort of i mean i you know whether 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 we're talking about one specific being or or the you know whatever um it's like this current that's rising in magic right now you know of this sort of um magical return to working with saints and deities and spirits um, you know it's 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 sort of part of you know what Gordon White talks about who was on the, the last podcast about this sort of re-enchantment of the world and the sort of re-emergence of magic and spirit into our consciousness and from my point of view Cyprian and the, the all the things that go with this are part of that that thread and that journey that seems to be you know, an important part of what's happening at this time, at least in, in the West anyway,
2: magically. Yeah, it's definitely giving people something to sink their teeth into and to share with each other as well, you know, sort of their work with it and how it's developing and different approaches to working with it, um, whether it's in the more old world traditions and I absolutely love the, the way that, working with St. Cyprian in Portugal, for example, completely makes you an outcast. And, you know, the way that Zé puts it is, you know, even owning the book already makes you an outcast. And so for those of us who feel like an outcast already, it's like, oh, I found
1: my tribe. I got something, you know, this is my thing. hmm You know. Yeah. I'm and... Element that I find interesting is
2: integrating um, Justina back into the picture as well. Um, just, you know, as a female, <laughs> it's, uh, it's you know, reading all these things that uh, they work with love magic, it's very coercive, you know, and so to have this other element of a female saint who represents, you know, um, sort of mastery of herself in the face of this type of temptation or in the face of this type of coercion, I think it's really important.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, let's, let's talk about that. I think that the this idea of, of magic and coercion, you know, and especially like, you know, some of the really gendered stuff about it too. Right. What, what do you think about that? What do you, how do you relate to that? Like I look at these, some of these old texts, you know, and, and I mean, less so now, cause I, I, I don't tend to read as much as I used to, but I remember reading some stuff before me, like, you know, to make this person like, come come to you and and be your you know completely under your spell and whatever and i'm like what the fuck is this i don't want to deal with this you know it's not what i'm looking for um you know but what what do you think about these things how do do you think about those
1: threads um i I, this might sound like it's sort of kind of a diversion into another tack but i think it answers your
2: question so i'm going to answer it to the side by saying you
1: know like the tapaboka spell. You want people to stop talking about you. So you do this spell to shut them up. And so then they stop talking about
2: you and you kind of might save your reputation or whatever. But if you actually extend it logically, the tapaboca spell is actually about you stop talking about that situation. Like you stop talking about it. Don't get them to stop. The more they go on about it, the worse they're going to look. So actually you don't ever need to do this spell at all. The Mm. desire to want to do the spell just means you need to stop
1: talking about it.
2: You know what I mean? I
0: do. I'm not sure that I, I mean, I'm not super, like, I I know the spell you're talking about, but, uh, you know, I think that, I think that the, you know, I. so I'm going to answer, I'm going to respond by sidestepping once more, okay, so we'll see where we end up, but, you know. One of the things that, that I think is very um, interesting about being a, an Arisha practitioner and practicing within that system, right, is especially when one becomes a priest, you receive divination that governs the rest of your life, right? And, you know, sorry, it, it governs your life, it reflects your life, it is sort of the unfolding of your destiny, right? And so, in that sense, you will live it and have to relate to it, right? And depending on what comes up during that time will guide you about whether or not or how you ought to relate to something like gossip, right? Because gossip and people talking about you is a a theme in many different divination signs that could arise during a person's initiation or reading. And some of them might say, you know, Hey, go do this and shut them up. Right. And some of them might say, um, all press is good press. Don't even pay them any attention. You know, and so I think that I think that it's it's re- it's really interesting to sort of try and understand in in the context of what you're saying about this spell, when when might someone desire to do that spell, be reflecting a need for them to just shut up and stop engaging or thinking about those people or, or being a part of that, and when might it require something else, right? Yeah. You know, yeah,
2: and it's never good to do it. I'm saying. I, I suppose I'm saying like you're saying here is that the desire to do any spell that desire that initial thing of saying i feel powerless to let me grasp to this external help to try to Mm -hmm. achieve outcome that's also a litmus test for where you are so if you're trying to coerce someone into something you have to actually check in and ask yourself why you know what's Mm -hmm. really for you and what what do you actually get from that
0: yeah for sure yeah
2: and I think, yeah, when it comes to that type of magic, I'm not really interested in that at all.
1: Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, it exists, but I think it exists in the same way that you know, people look to something outside of themselves for power. You know, and it's an ultimate statement of powerlessness. And it's like, well, you know, cultivate yourself. Yeah.
0: Yeah, for sure. Well, I I mean I think it's definitely an expression of of patriarchy and all of those things, right? You know. I mean, it's it's an expression of of many things, but I, yeah, I think that the minute we're looking at magic to be coercive is the, is the time where we should really be considering what it is that we're why why is it that this is where we've gotten to, right? You know, and I think that in circumstances where culture and social justice sort of work against people, then I think there's more space or more, you know, that might apply less, right? You know, it's like, well, you know what, you're truly being oppressed and and you don't have the access to this, but magic can open those doors. Right. And, And I want, and I wonder as in the West as people are, you know, um, more, you know, as, as magic becomes more prominent where we see it going, you know, like a lot of magic and a lot of, you know, again, like back to the Arisa traditions, right. I mean, uh, a lot of the, a lot of pieces or a bunch of the pieces, you know, especially in the diaspora are really in relationship to like slavery and, you know, these history pieces where, where the work of the spirits or the magical aspect of the religion was the thing, which, allowed those people to survive to become free in some cases to, to find some measure of justice where there was little or none right. um, but for people where those circumstances aren't that way and yet they're still drawn to those things you know that, that level of action you know I wonder where that's going to take us over time well,
1: that's an interesting element
2: you bring up uh, in the next volume of Verdant Gnosis this is three uh, Demetrius Lacroix has written a piece on High John the Conqueror and how the oppressor doesn't have a need for this route. You know, this is a, this is a magical tool that is designed for oppressed people. It was mm-hmm. used by slaves to fight the master, you know? And so it's a whole detailed history of this route and its
1: use in America and uh, specifically because that's the region he's looking at in this context. Um, Absolutely
2: amazing to be, you know, emphasizing this is not a tool for certain people. This is a tool for a specific group of people, and especially at a specific point in time. Um, And the master wouldn't know how to use it because it's not for them, you know um so yeah i think even when you look back in terms of medieval astrology you get references to slavery in the picatrix half the lunar mansions have to do with finding your lost slave you know there's sure. like all these things that don't necessarily translate and yet you know if you do try to take and this is just from the astrology side of things if you try to say well what's the correlation wage slavery still exists you know i mean people don't commonly think of it that way but if you want to talk about six house things and it's not about a slave it's going to be about Someone who is kind of an economic slave and still you know um sure,
0: yeah, or you know always
2: sensitive people too.
0: people are caught in the prison system, you know yeah,
2: yeah, those
0: always. kinds of things where they're where they have no you know uh, for whatever reasons they're there you know i mean but but they're they're locked they're caught in that system right they have no way
2: right. no power there themselves is of the prison industrial complex as well poor yeah. labor so.
1: Um, Yeah, it's always very tricky. Um, You know, the whole popularizing of astrology, and I I
2: think there's a correlation here, too, with magic, like the Instagram witch, or like the hashtag witch on Instagram gets you into a lot of interesting interpretations of what that is. Um, Mm -hmm. Popularizing astrology. I, I kind of think of it like What is the effect of capitalism on these practices? Because, you know, if you want to sell anything, if you add astrology, suddenly you can sell 12 versions of the same thing. Your numbers go up. Sure. And so it's like that alone completely waters down the efficacy of practicing astrology in any real way. It's like, oh, buy this keychain that says Nigra and then this one that says Sagittarius. And it's sort of like, that has nothing to do with astrology. You know, it's like sort of, adopting it for this other purpose um mm-hmm. you know it's had a disastrous effect on this practice i mean it sort of kept it alive to one extent and like in the popular imagination but on the whole other level it's watered it down to the point of making it seem like a joke mm-hmm. and i think it does that with magic too it's sort of like
1: yeah everybody well, needs I,
2: sage you, have, you know decimated the sage population
0: Hmm. well i think that you know to kind of bring this back around to cyprian I think that that is where, um, you know, Cyprian as sort of this through line of old magic, right. Or old folk practices and ideas, uh, whether it's a specific person or, or just sort of a, a line of, of thought and energy. Um, you know, I think that it's interesting that this, that these energies that are, um, from my perception of them and, and really as an outsider too, because I don't work with Cyprian, um, are, are sort of deep, immediate, and profound kind of energies that are surprisingly accessible in the way that, um, you know, many things are less so, you know, in terms of felt experience, in terms of uh,
1: efficacy and other things. Yeah. Especially related to the dream work. Like, in the structure of the kind of engagement with dreams. Mm-hmm. Non- partying
0: way <laughs> does do, do you do you dream with cyprian
2: um i'll
1: plead the fifth on that i don't really uh-huh. know. Okay. fair <laughs> fair enough or, or, you know. um yeah so you also have something really cool coming out today actually
0: the day this launches
1: It's true. There is. I've been working with a book called the Immaterial Book of St. Cyprian. And what he's done is take 31
2: Portuguese legends from the 19th century and translate them into English.
1: And they all concern the use of the book. So across Portugal... There are legends
2: about certain boulders or spaces where people go to try to discover treasure, and they encounter these beings called moros. I'm probably butchering the name and pronunciation. My Portuguese isn't very good, um, but yeah. And so, it's thirty-one small tales about how Portuguese tried to use this book, the Book of Saint Cyprian, to different purposes and. Many of them end with everybody getting too scared to actually go through with it and running away. A few of them are successful. Uh, some of the love magic is successful. But, uh, but it's a really sweet, small compendium of bold legends surrounding the actual use of the book. And you get a sense of how taboo it
1: is to have the book mm-hmm. to into the book, even speak about it. Yeah. And I think that that's something that um something that we've lost in, in this sort
0: of modern age of information everything right like you know there there's it sounds it sounds quaint to say it's dangerous to have this book right or it's you know or like socially whatever you know um and and I think that that's something that you know i mean on the one hand i'm I'm not about artificially making things spooky. But on the other hand, I think that there are energies and ideas and stuff that you can work with that that once you start working with them, that that's it. It, it opens up, you know, and, and you're like, oh, now I'm connected to this. And that doesn't really go away. You know?
2: Yeah, yeah the, the the legends are presented here in Portuguese and English. And I found that in reading it straight through you get, like, changes your consciousness. Like, something happens to you. Like, at first you think, oh, this is a simple story. Here's another simple story. These are, you know, quite short legends. But if you read them stacked on each other, one after the other, and there's a lot of white space, too. You know, they're very poetic, so there's a lot of white space in the book. And so it's like, as you go through and you experience these tales one after another, you get this shift, and the world changes around you in a way it's almost like your mental boulder cracks open and you're almost like scared. Like what is going on? And and it's so it's not like you're doing a spell per se, but the narratives themselves, even in their failures, you know, you know, when they run away scared and they don't actually complete the work, it's like you read that enough times and your whole mind goes a little bit like
1: oh, <laughs> you know. Yeah.
0: I mean, in that way, it mirrors the, the use of stories in the Orisha tradition, right? We tell stories of what the Orishas did and why they did it and what trouble it got them in or how it fixed things or whatever. And and these stories, especially when told in a ritual context, they're part of the ritual, right? They 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 convey things, they adjust our consciousness, they implant seeds that grow into other things. And I think that with especially around you know an energy like St Cyprian you know that this this kind of energy starts to if you dig into it emerge you know uh, it's like and and like i said it never really goes away many many years ago i worked with St Expedite for a, a long time you know for a number of years i did a lot of work with them and and um and then when i kind of got out of ceremonial and i got out of you know those things and focused mostly on my orisha practice for a long time um all that stuff receded you know just disappeared right i the the physical things were were disposed of or handed on or whatever and and all of that energy stepped back at that time and i thought that was it forever i'm like i'm done i'm going in a different direction you know handshakes high fives thanks for all the good stuff i'll i'll <laughs> see you when i see you
1: yeah
0: and then um and then Earlier this year, a painting that I had done of St. Saint Ex- Saint Expedite resurfaced. And, like, I mean, I, I resurfaced. I knew I had it. I knew I hadn't thrown it away. But it, it came out of a box that it had been tucked in. And as soon as it came in and I looked at him, he was like, hey, dude, what's going on? And I was <laughs> like, oh, hey.
2: He's
0: like, you should, uh, you should start painting saints again, man. You really should. And then, what's that?
2: Literally
0: ran into your ex. Yeah, my expedite. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, and then Wait, hey, uh
2: I'm not with you anymore. <laughs> yeah.
0: But you know, he's totally totally started leaning in and started, you know, whatever. I'm like, all right, dude, come back in, we'll be you can be a part of my practice in these ways and you know, these energies reemerge and it it was the same with uh with the Enochian angelic spirits for me, you know, it's this energy that I had a very intense connection with for a long time. And especially as i as i you know stepped more into doing practical magic for other people they just kind of returned and were like hey dude we'll take care of some of this for you i was like okay. all right guys thanks you know so yeah. and and Ciprian's like that right i mean this this energy is like that you know i think that the stories can be like that
2: yeah and i think you're hitting up on one of a very important thing that links astrology to these various magical traditions that you've mentioned, you know, Orisha traditions working with Cyprian or even different things with OTO magic, whatever you have technologies for structuring consciousness in a certain way. And so when we engage with my 20 years of working with astrology or, you know, your decades of working with the Orisha traditions or, you know, all the various things that we end up doing, all of these are, ways in which we are teaching our consciousness how to focus on certain things. And then we need, and then at some point you lose the training wheels, but it takes decades. You know, it's not something that you can just say, Oh, read an astrology book and go for it. You actually have to have a deep long-term engagement with at least one of these.
0: Yeah. And then you can. Hashtag I'm a super wizard. Hashtag I've master astrologer.
2: (laughs) Well, you know, like, I just, you know, it's, uh, you know, because I don't, I don't track current astrology. I'm not looking at transits all the all the time, trying to make decisions. If I have a big decision, I'll look for sure. But, you know, on another level, it's just, it's you internalize this way of seeing the world. So when you tell, you know, expedite, okay, it's over, we're going to do orisas now, that's because you've internalized it to the point where if you have to access that mode of looking at the world, you can do it without the externals. You know, something deeper inside of you that just can s- perceive reality along those lines. That yeah have and then yeah. what builds wisdom It's gnosis you know the ability to do that and it takes a long time mastery is pattern it takes a long time but once yeah.
1: you it, it's yours
0: yeah and I, I think that that's the thing that it's interesting you know i was at a conference um recently and i was chatting with some uh, some other people who've been reading cards and doing stuff for a long time and um one of them, you know, they they were talking about what was going on. we were like, where where are the young people? Like, where where are the younger people who are into these things? Because, I mean, I got my first deck of cards at thirteen, and if you know, if there had been conferences and stuff in my town, you know, and in, in my twenties for sure, when I was independent, I totally would have gone to them, you know. And you know, I think that I think that there's this interesting thing going on, and I don't want to I don't want to tell too like tight a narrative about what younger people are doing because you know because i don't really know you know but i think that one of the things that i see is the sort of idea of experts not being as appealing and not being as interesting and this diy-ness of it which is 100 percent fair and valuable but but i think that there's that many of the people that i have conversations with don't really understand what it might actually mean to be able to hang out with an elder you know, in a real sense of that word, you know, as opposed to like, hey, I've been doing it for
1: five years. You can call me by some title, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. The astrology community is having a lot of new people come into it. I think there was yeah. a little
2: while, maybe in the early, the oddies, what do you call that? 2000 to 2010. Yeah. Looked, it looked as though there wouldn't be a younger generation. And now it's very clear that there's a younger generation that are getting into it in terms of the established industry. And they're doing things their own way, which is awesome. You know, they're kind of incorporating themselves into the conference circuit, but there's a lot of creativity coming out of Portland, for example, the Portland School of Astrology has got some really deep roots there doing all kinds of innovative work. And really taking that world and making it their own and i really mm-hmm. admire um so that's beginning to take shape but you know when it's like you know when i look at your work with taro as well like you know this is a technology for focusing your consciousness i might use astrology to get to the same place but we're going the same place you know
1: mm-hmm. yeah.
2: same place and so Um, all of these internecine warfares of like, well, I read cards this way and I do astrology this way. It's kind of like, hey, guys, we're all going to the same place, you know?
0: Yeah, it's tiresome. (laughs) Come on, just just do something, you know? Or show me what you're doing. Let's let's talk about it. Let's be excited about it, right? Yeah.
1: Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm.
0: So this book that you're doing, which is a new thing, Mm -hmm. is out today, right? Because this is coming out on the 14th. Why today? Mm-hmm.
1: Today? Um, so this
2: book is the Immaterial Book of St. Cyprian. is part of a series at Rubito Press called Folk Necromancy and Transmission. It was the brainchild of Dr. Alexander Cummings and Jesse Happily diaz And it's the second book in that series. And Al is looking at some of the lesser known saints days. And so today is actually a lesser known saints day. and
1: He's written a blog post about it, so if you know Al's work, head over there learn more about that. Yeah. Very cool.
0: And this book will be available through your websites and mm-hmm. through the shop and in some other places too. So yeah, yeah follow around and, and take a look and you know. But but you know, as we said, this is one of those things. Get excited about it, look at it, but be mindful. It's gonna it's gonna pull you in. To wonderful and magical and transformative worlds. And that's awesome. That's super awesome. It's the best of things, right? But, you know, know that that's what's gonna happen. It's kinda like when you start buying crystals, you know, you start buying crystals and it just doesn't stop, you know,
2: for almost anybody,
0: (laughs) you know, or tarot decks or whatever. You're like, oh yeah, you just get pulled into this world of things.
2: Yeah. And you could get into the Portuguese too, because it's facing pages. So if you want to undo, Zay's translations. You can actually end up using this book to teach yourself the Portuguese to really, really go there, you know?
0: Mm-hmm. Absolutely, yeah. Or if you happen to already speak Portuguese.
2: So you just you know. go straight to the source.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, where do people find you, Jen?
2: I'm findable at jensart.com J-E-N-N-Z-A-H-R-T tcom and and Press
1: www.rubedo.rubedo.prs. Awesome. You should follow their
0: stuff. You should check out the books. Um, yeah, we're going to be carrying a bunch of things at the store, so if you're looking for it, you can also get it locally if you're local to us. Yeah. Awesome. Thanks for making time to talk to me today, Jen, and congratulations on your uh, your new release. Thank you. Seriously, as always, thank you for listening. And if you are interested in grabbing uh, some Rubito books, you can certainly do so from their website. And you can also grab both the new book and a selection of them from our store at thehermitslamp.com and hit the shop button and then just pop Rubito, R-U-B-E-D-O, in the search engine at the bottom. And it will take you to all of the books that we have in stock Uh, We also ship everything else we have pretty much everywhere in the world. So if there's something you like there, we will get it to you ASAP. Thanks again for listening, and thanks for spreading the word.